Well, it's Sugar Creek. Hope you guys are doing well. I want to welcome you to the service one more time. I know we are one church in multiple locations, so I know that some of you are joining us from our Missouri City campus. Some of you are joining us from our Richmond Rosenberg campus, and some of you are literally from different cities all over the world through our online ministry. So wherever you are, we want you to know that we are excited that we can worship uh, King Jesus together and also that we can open the Word of God together and learn more of how He wants us to live this life here on this earth. Over the last few weeks, we went through a sermon series that we titled Re-Engage, and the purpose of that series was to help us understand God's plan for marriage and also how we can live under that plan, the plan that God had for us in the marriage. But uh, we as a teaching team and uh, with the leadership of our pastor, Dr. Harmon, we also uh, come to, came to a point of understanding that there is an issue in our society because we live in a broken world and because not, uh, things that don't always work out the way we want them to work out, we, we have to deal with this issue and it is the issue of divorce. Uh, we understand that divorce is all around us and because of that we have to study this from the Word of God. So that is what we we are going to talk about today. We understand that divorce is a prominent issue in our society that the church can't ignore. We can't just ignore this issue. We have to talk about it and we have to talk about it from the Word of God. We also understand and realize that this might be a, a painful, a sensitive issue for many of you guys. So we want to talk about this with as much grace as we possibly, possibly can. Uh, we know that many people, both inside and outside the church, have been impacted by divorce. And so we have to talk about this. So I know that when we say the word divorce, some of you uh, just struggle through this. Uh, some of you, maybe uh, you, you went through a painful, difficult divorce some time ago, and you're just now kind of getting on your feet and trying to heal from all the wounds and everything that happened. And so the word kind of gives you flashbacks that are not good. Some of you may be going through a painful divorce right now and you're still trying to make sense of why this is happening and how you're going to move on after this there might be some of you who are going through a really difficult time in your marriage and you are contemplating this because you think it is the only way out is the only solution there are some of you that when you hear the word divorce you probably think about your parents separation and how much that hurt you and even traumatized you some of you is the opposite when you hear that word divorce, you think of your child's separation from their spouse and how that broke your heart and you're seeing how that's affecting your grandchildren. It just hurts to, to think about that. There might be some of you here who are single and you are terrified of getting married because you don't want to go through one of these painful things called divorce. The truth is, again, that divorce affects many people both inside and outside the church. But even though it's painful because it affects so many people, we have to talk about it from the Bible. Christians need to understand what God teaches about divorce. And so today, that is what we are going to try to do. And to try to understand what God teaches about uh, divorce, we're going to go to the source itself. We're going to go to what Jesus taught on this subject. And we find his teachings on divorce in a couple of different places in the, in the gospel. But we are going to uh, focus today mainly in Matthew chapter 19. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to go there, Matthew chapter 19. And uh, we're going to look at what Jesus taught about divorce because the Bible teaches that Jesus is full of truth and full of grace. 
grace. And so because of that, we're going to look at this issue from his perspective. I'm going to try to speak truth with grace. Now, before we go any farther, if you let me, I'd like to pray for us so that God is the one who speaks uh, to us today. Can I pray? God, uh, you are so good. And you have given us your word as to, to be the means by which you transform us and change us. And God, I, I thank you for that gift. And so, God, I pray that today you open our ears, that you open our minds, and you open our hearts so that we can hear, we can understand, and we can also believe and apply what you want us to learn today. God, I pray that you speak through me in spite of me. And God, I also pray for the 1,268 people groups who don't have this precious word in their language, and because of that, they also don't have the gospel. I pray that you make both them uh, the gospel and your word available to them, and you use Sugar Creek to make that possible for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, as I mentioned, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, and the first three verses of the chapter actually set the scene for us. They, they tell us why and when Jesus taught about divorce. Let, let me read those three verses to you. It says this, Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So you see here that Jesus had been teaching, doing his ministry, also healing people. Large crowds of people are following Jesus. And among the crowds, apparently, there is this group called the Pharisees that come to Jesus and they ask the question about divorce. They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Now, I want to draw your attention to one particular word in that te text is the word tested. It says there that they tested Jesus by asking that question. The word tested can also be translated as trap or trick, if you will. In other words, they were trying to make Jesus stumble. It was not a genuine question. They were not trying to gain knowledge for, from Jesus. They were trying to test or to uh, trap Jesus. This is what the text tells us. Now, if that's the case, which it is, I think that begs a couple of questions that we need the answer to. Number one is, who are the Pharisees? And number two, why did they want to test or trap Jesus? So let me ask, answer those questions for you. The first one is, who's the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. They had the responsibility of studying the Word of God, studying the law of Moses, and interpret the law of Moses to the people. And they also had the responsibility of ensuring that people abide by the law, that they live under this law. And so they had a serious responsibility. Now, they were imperfect men like you and I, and some of them, unfortunately, had taken that position that, that they had, that spiritual authority, and they had used that to their own advantage. Many of the Pharisees had used the position that they had for personal gain. They had used it to gain status, to gain popularity, to make more money, and to even control and manipulate people to their advantage. So it was not a healthy situation. Now, that leads me to the second question. Why did they want to test or trap Jesus? Well, as you read in the text, Jesus was also a rabbi. He was also teaching, but he was not like them. He was a humble man. He helped people. He didn't abuse authority. He was perfect. He healed people who were sick. And because of all these attributes, then people were following Jesus. He says that large crowds were following Jesus. In other words, these men were losing popularity while Jesus was gaining popularity. So they felt 
threatened. They were jealous. They were terrified of Jesus. And so they were committed to doing everything they possibly could to trap Jesus or to catch Jesus teaching something that was unpopular or something that was in contrary to what they thought so that they could say, ha, you should not follow that man. You should follow us. And in fact, you have several examples in the Gospels of, of this man trying to ask these tricky questions to Jesus. But hey, Jesus is Jesus, right? And you can't get in a debate about the Word of God with the Word of God himself, with the Son of God. And so Jesus was not going to be fooled by these fools. He actually was ready and prepared. And Jesus, before he taught about divorce or before he answered about divorce, he taught about marriage. Jesus taught God's plan for marriage before he taught about divorce. I want you to see what he taught in verses 4 through 6. It says this. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So this is Jesus answering their question about divorce. And again, before he even talked about divorce, he actually took them to God, God's original plan for marriage. He took them to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when God established the first marriage, when God created marriage. And he said, hey, don't you know that when God created the world in the beginning, he made them male and female, and that's why a man should leave his father and his mother, and he should hold fast to his wife. That's what Jesus said. He's quoting Genesis 2, 24. That word, or the two words, hold fast, can also be translated from the Hebrew as uh, make covenant. In other words, he is reminding them that marriage is supposed to be a covenant and not a contract. And the reason is because many people in that time, in that society, had a contractual view of marriage. They were stepping into marriage thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, they can, I, I can just walk away from it. And that's pretty much what we have going on in our society today. But Jesus taught that God intended for marriage to be a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. And there is a difference between a contract and a covenant. Back in January 15, our pastor uh, preached a sermon on this, the difference between contract and covenant and how marriage is a covenant. A contract can be easily broken if somebody doesn't do their part, but a covenant is something that we commit to do it even though whatever circumstances may come. And the covenant of marriage should be a picture of the love of God for us, a love that is unconditional, a love that doesn't give up. And so Jesus is reminding these Pharisees that from the beginning, God didn't even plan for divorce to be a thing. That it was not a part of God's plan when he created marriage. That God intended for it to be a lifelong covenant. That's why he says what God has joined together, no man should separate. That word join is a word kola in Greek, and the word can, uh, the, it's a word for glue. So Jesus literally said, what well, God has glued together, no man should separate. In other words, if a man and a woman have made a covenant, that should not be broken by any human being. Now, uh, some of you are probably going, okay, Ender, you said this was a sermon about divorce, but you're still talking about marriage. Great point. 
But that's what Jesus was doing. And the Pharisees had the same question. They actually asked Jesus, hey, I know you're saying that, but we're asking you specifically about divorce. And I want you to see how they ask him in verse 7. It says this. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So this is the Pharisees speaking to Jesus. They're saying, okay, you're saying that marriage should be for life and that divorce should not be a thing. But we know the law. We are the Pharisees after all. And the law commands us to give a certificate of divorce to a wife under certain circumstances. This is what the Pharisees were doing. Now, the Pharisees did know the law. But as I told you earlier, they were human beings and they had twisted the law. And so what they were doing is they were quoting a passage that was given not as a command, but rather as instructions on how to proceed under the rare case of divorce. The, the, the passage comes from Deuteronomy 24 in the law. And I want to read just the first verse to you. It says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency, key word for us, in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and the text continues. And so what you have here, again, is the instructions on how to proceed in the rare case of a divorce. But this man had twisted that and said, Moses commanded us to divorce our wife under certain circumstances. And what Jesus was about to do was to, is to prove them wrong is to prove to them that, that divorce was not a command, but rather a concession. Jesus taught that divorce was a concession and not a command. And there was a big difference between a concession and a command. I want you to see how Jesus answered to their argument in verses eight and nine, it says this. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So now Jesus is talking about divorce. But this is what he says. It is because of the hardness of your heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. Now, they said Moses commanded us. Jesus said he allowed you. And those are two different things. Now, when Jesus taught that, they would have heard that clearly because it was very common during that time for rabbis to teach that there was a difference between a command expressed by God and a concession allowed by God. It was common for rabbis to teach that there was a difference between the two. And so it's important for us to know the difference between the two because Jesus is clearly making the distinction between the two. So we have to understand that a command is something that God intended to be a part of human's character from creation, from the beginning. And a concession was something that God allowed to be a part of human society because sin entered the world. Let me make sure this is clear. When God commands us to do something, it's because that's how he created us. That's what he expects out of us. That's what he wants for us because it is what is best for us. But God also understands that we live in a broken world, that we have broken hearts, that we are sinful. And sometimes in order to protect his children and to protect people and to prevent us from harming one another, he has to allow certain things that were not a part of his original plan. And so what Jesus is teaching here is that there is a difference between a concession and a command and that divorce was a concession, not a command. 
So Jesus taught that the concession of divorce was allowed because of humans' sinful hearts. Jesus said it clearly, it is because of the hardness of your heart that Moses had to allow that. But from the beginning, that was not a part of God's plan. Now, I think it's important that we insert some cultural and historical background here so that we understand his teaching even better. We have to remember that during Jesus' time, unfortunately, women were not favored at all. You have to understand that women were not allowed to own property. They were not allowed to sign documents. They were not allowed to work for money outside the home. It was just a completely rugged situation. They depended on men totally and completely. And so because of this, women were not allowed to divorce her husband or file for divorce. This meant that a man could be a real jerk to his wife and she couldn't do absolutely anything about it. But if a man found a loophole, a reason for why he wanted to divorce his wife legally, he could do that and send her away. And when he would send her away with a certificate of divorce, she was pretty much left with no options for her future. She was left not just heartbroken, but financially broken too. Because she couldn't work, she couldn't own property. So her options were going back to her dad to beg her to take her back in, or going to the streets and beg for food, or maybe hope that some other man would marry her, remarry her, and restore her, or, or in spite of her past. That, those were her options. So it was totally and completely unfair for women. And so Jesus, who came to teach us that both men and women are of equal value before God, we're all created in the image of God and for His glory, is using this opportunity not just to talk about divorce, but also to put these men in their place who were abusing their law. And it was uh, just a prominent teaching in that time that people could divorce for any reason. In fact, there were... Two, during Jesus' time, there were two main views on divorce according to the law. And, and the two views differ in, in one word uh, found in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, that word indecency that I mentioned to you earlier, that was a key word for us. However you interpret that word indecency, in, in then that, that would tell you where the concession for divorce was allowed. And there were two main rabbis, two uh, pretty famous rabbis who, who taught two different views on divorce. There was one man named Rabbi Shammai who had more of a conservative view, if you will, and he taught that the word indecency could only be applied to sexual conduct. In other words, this man taught that the concession of divorce was given only when the wife was found guilty of committing adultery. Now, there was another rabbi, a little more progressive and more popular at the time, a man named Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel taught that the word indecency could be used for anything that a man didn't like about his wife. And I literally mean anything. A man could argue in a court of law that his wife had an indecent smell because she didn't shower for a couple of days and he could file a divorce because of that. A man could argue that his wife had uh, indecent cooking skills and so he could file a divorce because of that. A man could argue that, uh, uh, that his wife had, uh, I don't know, she was indecent in the way that she talked to him and so he could file a divorce because of that. And this may sound like silly examples to you, but it, it was literally what was going on. 
this, we find writings of this man, Shammai, uh, or in Rabbi Hillel, that teach that if she burned the bread consistently, then she was being indecent in their, her behavior, and therefore a man could send her away to beg for money in the streets. It was just not okay. It was a totally messed up situation. And as you can imagine, most of these men who were the ones that could file for divorce while the women couldn't, they follow the teaching of this man, Rabbi Hillel, because it was more convenient to them. And so if they found somebody else that they wanted to marry for whatever reason, then they could find a little loophole, divorce their wife, leave this poor woman in the streets to beg for money, and then they would be happily remarried again. And so Jesus was like, hey, 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 no, no, that's not okay. And so Jesus, Jesus actually stood, stood firm in his teaching. Jesus taught that divorce should not be an option except in the case of adultery. He made it clear. It is only in the case of adultery. Now, this is what makes that uh, test for, for, the, for the Pharisees. This is where they thought they could have Jesus. Because they thought, well, if Jesus teaches that it's only in the case of adultery, then he's not going to be popular anymore because nobody wants to hear that. But if he contradicts himself, then we can continue to do whatever we want. If he says that we can do it over any circumstance, then we can continue to do whatever we want. But see, Jesus was more concerned about pleasing God than he was about pleasing the crowds. He was more concerned about being truthful than he was about being liked by other people or being popular. And so he spoke the truth. And he said, the only concession comes in the case of sexual immorality. He actually used the word porneia, that is translated sexual immorality. Now, having said that, I have to pause here and I have to say this. Jesus also offers grace to people who have been divorced and remarried. I already told you, Jesus is full of grace and he's also full of truth. Okay, and I want to clarify that because unfortunately there are many people, Christians, who, who hold the view that if somebody has been divorced and remarried for other reason other than adultery, then uh, pretty much God is done with them. But that is not the case. We find examples in Scripture in which Jesus offered grace to people who had been divorced and remarried. In John chapter 4, we find the story of a woman, a Samaritan woman, who had been divorced not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times. And now she's living with a man who's not her husband. And Jesus goes out of his way to meet this woman, to offer grace to her, to restore her, to give her hope and to give her a future. He reveals to her that he is the Messiah. Not only that, he also sends her on a mission and he empowers her to be a witness of the fact that he is the Savior of the world. Look at what he says in John chapter 4, verse 39. It says this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. In other words, this woman is going around town telling everybody, Hey, this Jesus says he's the Messiah. And he knew that I've been divorced a bunch of times. And I've been remarried. And I have an ugly past. And yet he forgave me. And he gave me hope. And he gave me a future. And many people believed in Jesus because of that woman's testimony. So I will say this again, divorce and remarriage do not disqualify a person from receiving God's love and grace. That has to be clear and you have to understand that. I have seen many marriages who are a second marriage and they're godly, godly marriages. 
Okay, because God is an expert at restoration and redemption. That's the God that we serve. So make sure we understand this. But having said this, I also have to say this. Let's not be, uh, make the same mistake. Let's be careful that we don't make the same mistake that the Pharisees were making. They were abusing the grace that they had received. They were going, well, if we have a loophole, let's find that loophole. So let's find any reason to divorce and continue on and doing whatever it is that we wanted to do. That is not what Jesus wanted. That is not what God wants. That is following sinful desires. And it can be painful. It can be something that, that causes a lot of harm and a lot of pain. So divorce is allowed only under very extreme circumstances, under very special concessions. Adultery is one of those concessions. Another concession that we find in the New Testament is abandonment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we find uh, a lot of new Christians in Corinth that were coming from all sorts of ethnic and religious backgrounds. And, and so they had different weird traditions and, and, and sexual conduct and different things. And now they're coming uh, to faith in Christ and their lives is different. And so their spouses are going, well, if that's who you're going to be, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Not only that, but some of them were going, hey, I want to please God, but my spouse wants to live this way. I don't think I want to live that way anymore. So what should I do? And so under that context, this is what the Apostle Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 15. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your, otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now, there is a lot going on here. But I want to just briefly kind of summarize what Paul is teaching. What Paul is saying here, hey, if you're married, don't walk away from your marriage just because you are a Christian now. In fact, if you are a Christian and your spouse wants to, and it's not a Christian, they still want to stay married to you, you stay married. And he tells them the reason why. He said the reason is that maybe because of your testimony, because of how you live your life, because you being present in their life and sharing the gospel with them, then maybe one day they will become Christians too. Not only them, but also your children can become Christians because of that. So you stay there. But then he says this. Now, if the unbelieving spouse decides to separate that word separate is the word chorizo in, in, in the Greek. And I'm not talking about a delicious meat that you can put in a taco. I am talking about the word divorce. That's, that's what the word is. The man decides to divorce or to separate or to work away. Not the man. The unbeliever decides to do that. Then you should not be enslaved. You should not be held accountable to that covenant anymore. Because that person chose to abandon, to break the covenant. So it is very rare things that break the covenant. And abandonment is another of those concessions. Now, there are some of you who are going, hey, in there, wait a minute. It says unbelieving spouse there. I saw it. And you're right. It does. 
But if you read the letters to the Corinthians, you see that Paul teaches that it, there are times in which a person says they're a believer, but they act like an unbeliever, and therefore they should be treated as an unbeliever. In other words, if somebody says they're a believer, but they continue to commit the same sin over and over again, don't repent, don't change from it, then they should be treated as an unbeliever. And so in this context, it means that if somebody says they are a believer, but they choose to break the covenant of marriage, they choose to walk away from their spouse and abandon them and file for divorce, then the, the other partner, the abandoned person, should not be held accountable to that covenant anymore. And so abandonment is another one of those very rare, very special concessions. Physical abuse can be another one of those concessions. Because in a covenant that you made, you made a covenant to protect the person, to care for the person, to be there for the person in the good times and bad times. And when somebody abuses the other person physically, then you're breaking the covenant. That is not okay. And I want you to know that if you are living under those circumstances, you need to find help. You need to run away from where you are and find help that is not healthy, that is not okay, that is not safe. And so you see, the point is that special concessions are given for divorce and remarriage because of sin. But they should be the exception, not the norm. They had become the norm in our society, and I'm afraid they have become the norm in our society also. And what Jesus is teaching here is, yes, it's a concession, it's allowed, but it's only under very extreme circumstances. It should not be the go-to solution. It should be a radical solution to a radical problem. Several years ago, uh, my daughter, who was only two years old at the time, my oldest daughter, she began to present some symptoms that were just absolutely weird. And my wife, because she's a great mother, she found these symptoms, even though I had not even noticed, but she did. And, and she said, we got to do something. And so we ended up, uh, uh, long story, uh, uh, on a Saturday night, uh, uh, 8 p.m. at night in an emergency room, doing a bunch of tests and a bunch of different exams. And after a lot of these tests and a lot of exams, about midnight, a, doctor's came, a doctor came into our little room and he says, I'm afraid we found a cancerous tumor in your daughter's kidney. And I was just shocked. I had to say, can you repeat what you said? Because I think I heard you say the word cancer. And he said, that's what I said. Your daughter has a cancerous tumor in her kidney and we have to do something. We have to do something quickly because if we don't do something quickly, then that tumor, that cancer is going to spread to the other kidney and to other organs and it could be lethal. And so when you're a dad and you hear this about your two-year-old, you, you obviously, you cried and you pray and you scream, whatever it is. I don't remember what we did. But after all of that, we ask questions like, okay, what do you recommend? And they recommend we did something called a radical nephrectomy. And what a radical nephrectomy is, is that they do an emergency surgery to remove not just the tumor, but the kidney with the tumor. Because the tumor was so big that they couldn't separate the two. And sure enough, that's what they did. They opened her up, two years old, and they removed the kidney. It turns out that the kidney was 7.2 centimeters long. The tumor was 6.9 centimeters long. In other words, the kidney was completely covered by this cancer. Now, by God's grace and His grace alone, we were able to find this in time. And so uh, they removed the kidney, but after the radical nephrectomy and six months of chemotherapy, my daughter is doing well. She is healthy, and we praise God and celebrate God for His grace and for His protection of her. But I want you to know that was painful. That was difficult. 
And this is how marriage, I mean, divorce should be viewed. It should be as a, a viewed as a radical solution to a radical problem. You would not remove a kidney over a UTI. You would not remove a kidney over a kidney stone. Those are difficult, painful situations, but there are different solutions for those. Because make no mistake about it, even though my daughter is walking around fine by God's grace, there is a scar on her side that reminds us of that painful moment. Even though she's walking around fine and healthy, she had to take different precautions and live differently because she has one kidney instead of two, like most people. There are consequences to that. There is pain that came with that. There is a mark that was left with that. And that's what happens with divorce too. It is allowed sometimes under really painful, difficult circumstances, special concessions, but it will leave a mark. It will be painful. It will traumatize children. So it should not be the go-to solution. It should be a radical solution to a radical problem. When there is a cancer that is spreading and could kill, then that's when you do it. That's when it's necessary. So you can see that Jesus is holding the view of covenantal marriage still high and saying, this is how we should look at marriage. Now, when you hear that, some of you, if you're single, you're probably going, what? That's the case. I don't know if I want to get married. I want you to know you're not alone. Look at what he says in verse 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. This is the disciples. They're hearing Jesus' teaching. They're going, well, if that's the case, I don't know that I want to get married. I think I'm going to stay single. That teaches us a couple of things. First, it teaches us how prominent this teaching was that, that people could step in and out of a marriage as they pleased. Because even the disciples looked at marriage that way. But it also teaches us how serious Jesus was about this. How important this was to Jesus. How clear his teaching was. Because the disciples went, well, if that's the case, I don't know. We don't know if we want to get married. I want to say this. My intent here is not to discourage people from getting married. Jesus' intent was not to discourage people from getting married, but rather to help people understand what marriage is as it should be according to what God created. And when it's done in that way, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I tell couples all the time when I do premarital counseling that a lot of people spend way more time and money preparing for a wedding than they do for a marriage. And a wedding will last one day, two if you count, the, I mean, one hour, two if you count the reception. Marriage is supposed to be for life. But yet people step into marriage thinking that it's just this big party, this celebration, and if it doesn't work out, then I can walk away from it. And what God is saying is, no, you should not have this view of marriage. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. And so Jesus' intent was not, again, to discourage people from getting married, but rather to, to help people understand God's view and where to find the help to live the way that God wants us to live. I want you to see what he said in verse 11 to what the disciples said. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. Those words, Jesus is saying, you are right. This is difficult. And not everyone can live this way. 
but there are some who can live this way. There are some who can receive the grace of God and can live in this way. There are some who can live under God's plan for their life. There are some who can experience the grace and the power of God. And what Jesus was doing is pointing them to what he was about to do. Because yes, Jesus knew that we were broken and sinful and messed up. And because of that, we harm people and therefore divorce is a thing. But Jesus also knew that he had come to this world on a mission that he had up to this point lived a perfect life and he was going to continue to do so and just a few weeks after that he was going to give that life as a perfect sacrifice on a cross to pay for our sins but he was not going to stay there but he was going to rise from the dead to show that Jesus that God has power over sin and over death and he was going to send his Holy Spirit to live inside of us making a new covenant for us a perfect covenant that allows us to live the way that God wants us to live including in marriage he knew that yes the, the biblical view of marriage seems impossible that, but he also knew that the gospel makes it possible as pastor Mark said in the first sermon of the ring age series marriage is strongest when God is first in your life but Jesus knew that he had come to make it possible for us to make God first in our lives Because he had come to be the way, the truth, and the life so that we could be with the Father. He had come to die in our place so that we could be forgiven and we could be restored. And we could have the relationship that God wanted us to have. Jesus knew that the only way for us to make God first in our lives is when we fully surrender to him, to Jesus the King. Because he knew that he had come to make a new covenant with us. A covenant that cannot be broken. He knew that he had come to give every bit of his blood so that we step into a new covenant. The gospel, the, the covenant called the gospel, a covenant that cannot be broken and that will last for eternity. He knew that he had come to give us his power so that we could live the life that God had for us. And listen, there are many of you who have gone through, go, through, through painful, painful circumstances. There are some of you who are going through painful circumstances right now in your marriage. There are some of you who are terrified of getting married because you are terrified of being hurt and, and, and even potentially hurting other people. Now, what I want you to know is this, that if you try in your own efforts, yes, it will be difficult and maybe impossible. But Jesus makes it possible. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and labor, and I will give you rest. We can just offload our burdens upon him, and he can carry them. He can give us the strength so that we can live the life that God has for us, and so that we can have the marriages that God has for us. So before you think about marriage, before you think about remarriage, before you think about divorce, before you think about any of these things, I want to ask you this, is Jesus first in your life? Because that is the only place where you can start. And there are some of you who need to today, today, surrender your heart and your life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've been around the things of God. Maybe you've been worshiping with us for a few weeks, but you have never given your life to Jesus. And today he's saying, hey, I can give you rest. I can give you of my grace and my power. I can give you what you need. And today he's saying, would you please trust me? If that's you, man, I want you to know we have pastors and leaders at every of our campuses in the Next Step Center. We have the same online. Please talk to one of us so we can help you in this decision. But I know there are some of you who are believers already, and you're still struggling in a difficult marriage. You're trying to figure out why. 
And I want to encourage you to explore and search within your heart because maybe, maybe, just maybe, there is a part of your heart that you have not surrendered to Jesus yet. You're still holding on to it. And it could be control, and it could be pride, it could be bitterness, it could be unforgiveness. I don't know what it is, but I do know that Jesus has given me that. Trust me with it so that you can experience my peace and so that you can experience the life that I have for you. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We're thankful for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us even in such a difficult subject. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that Sugar Creek is known to be a church of people who hold that covenantal view of marriage. But also a church of grace and forgiveness and a church that understands that sometimes situations are just too painful and difficult and so we extend grace to other people, the grace that we have received. God, I pray that those who have that have gone through painful situation can embrace the grace of King Jesus. Forgive and be forgiven for your glory. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.